Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 84, well on our way to 100 now. I do have a couple of targets for 100, uh, Yorkshire Shepherdess, Caleb Cooper, Jeremy Clarkson, but I think the last two might be out of commission now due to the problems with Amazon Prime the last couple of weeks. Um, but we are still 16 away and we have some fantastic guests on the way. Before I introduce today's guest, however, I've quite a cool little thing I want to show you. For those of you that follow the YouTube scene and like your KSIs and Logan Pauls and whatnot, uh, you will be aware of their drink that is just about unattainable at the minute. I was very excited to um, walk past my local shop and realise they had some in. So I do have some Prime with me, so that was very exciting. So if you do want to get in touch with me, I'll sell you one for £50 a bottle. Um, no, getting back onto podcast things, uh, there's... Uh, a, a, a good guest today, very exciting. I'm quite looking forward to it. Another thing I'm going to be talking about, I know literally nothing about, um, so that'll be fun. Uh, but we have tried to arrange this about seven times, and we've, <laughs> I've either not been available, Blythe's not been available, there's been COVID, there's been malaria, there's been everything in the way. So uh, <laughs> it has been quite exciting. But Blythe, would you like to say hello to everyone? <clears throat> hello. I've eventually made it. Fifth time <laughs> yeah, actually, I think. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. <laughs> we're here, we're here. I mean, what day is it? We're filming this on the 19th of January. We must have been trying since November, like, we must have been. I think, yeah, it was mid-November. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Always late. Came out nah. the late. Yeah, you've got to wait for things that are good. You've got to wait for things that are good. And I'm going to say, uh, I didn't say this to you off camera, but it might be embarrassing. Um, I think you have one of the coolest accents of people we've had in the podcast. It's a fantastic accent. Um, Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, Blythe, you're based in Zimbabwe, which we'll get into. But um, could you tell us a bit about your background? You're, you're in sort of in food production in some capacity now. Uh, was that always sort of your background? uh no so I've actually hopped about a few things um but I grew up here I was born here um and we actually were farmers in the southeast part of the country and we farmed tea coffee and macadamias um and unfortunately due to some political reasons and things that happened in Zimbabwe at the time we lost our farm in 2005 um I've always kind of known I wanted to be involved in in agriculture to some degree and kind of had this romantic idea that at some point maybe I'd come back and do my part basically um, to fix or help or, you know, I don't know, make some sort of impact to what's going on here. Um, so I, yeah, we moved in 2005 to Zambia for three years. My dad went farming again, um, poultry farming, uh, quite a change. We lasted there for about three years and then we moved to Scotland and I was there for 11 years. Um, and then I studied agriculture at SRUC, um, same as you. And yep, yep. then, yeah, um, I mean, a few things. I wasn't really sure about the exact direction I was going. I spent a lot of time kind of doing livestock photography and this and that and not really sure. I knew I always wanted to 
um, do some sort of agronomy and move down the plant route. I've always really, as most of my friends know, been obsessed with plants. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not the coolest obsession, but anyway. Oh, I disagree. Um, yeah, well, anyway, I COVID kind of came and I decided to take a mid-20s, um, mid-20s crisis midlife crisis and I went and did a ski season and then um in the March that's when the whole world shut down and yeah ended up stuck back in the UK and in October when they were announcing that next lockdown they basically said all oh, the last few flights are going to be flying out the UK and I booked straight onto that <laughs> um uh, because actually one of my best friends was getting married in the December and I thought the only way I'm actually going to make it back to Zim as if I got on that flight so came back and yeah as soon as I landed back in Zambia um, with my parents that's where they are um, I realized how many opportunities there were and how Zimbabwe was opening up again and yeah things were becoming a little bit more stable um, and yeah took a job at a biological fertilizer company and I've been here ever since. So it's about two years, a week ago, that I've been home. Two years, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I assume mm. there's not much skiing in Zimbabwe. Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually trying to sit where there's most breeze. It's very hot at the moment. Yeah, so just out of interest, what sort of temperature is it at the minute, mid-January? Uh, mid-20s to mid-30s. It's kind of rainy season. Um, yeah. So it peaks and troughs so it'll get very hot at some points if there's been no rain but then we generally will get a storm or a drizzle most days for a few hours and then it goes away so keeps it cool but it gets very 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 humid for reference it's negative four at the minute <laughs> oh that's horrendous yeah i've actually just come back from a work trip to um one of the colder higher areas in the country and i took my winter pajamas <laughs> What, what temperature was that like 16 or something yeah like 18 18 <laughs> <laughs> well here's yeah. funny I, I filmed with uh, r2cast 75 i filmed with rachel stratton and she was in norway who'd been at negative 28 so uh, oh, we have oh, now seen a swing of 60 degrees it's quite something oh um, my gosh yeah i know mental isn't it uh in fairness i would take the negative 28 over the the 30s and so I hate when it's that warm in the summertime yeah I just no it does get quite un like unpleasant at times oh yeah um, um so yeah we don't need to get into the depth of what happened in Zimbabwe we've all sort of heard of what happened it's it's a it's a pretty horrible experience for everyone involved mm. and obviously you were involved um you, you you said your family moved to Zambia and and started poultry farming was that was that a, a transition that a lot of people made or was that just yourself uh, yeah, quite a, a lot of Zimbabweans went up to Zambia. A lot of them, not really poultry farming as such. Um, it was one of the companies that had reached out to my dad at the time. It was quite funny. It was like giant recruitment drive. As soon as they knew your farm was going in Zim, people were getting poached left, right and center. Um, so, yeah, no, a lot of people went to Zambia, but we we made the change very, very quickly. You didn't really have a choice. So we left our farm in 24 hours um oh, that's geez. what we got yeah so that's what we got and uh you kind of keep got to keep going you you can't hang around and wait for the next opportunity that you know doesn't really exist so no we loved zambia no it was good it was good yeah. different and but good your, your parents still in zambia yeah sorry 
Yeah, so they, we were there together for three years, um, and then we all made the move to Scotland. But uh, yeah, the the cold and didn't really suit mum and dad so much after many moons in in Southern Africa. So they basically, after a couple of years, started coming back. Dad was working in Mozambique for a while, um, and mum would go between. And yeah, and then eventually they made the move from Mozambique to to back to Zambia, where they've been now for oh gosh, I think probably the last nine, ten years. Right. Probably calculated if, that wrong. Yeah. Why? Why Scotland? Uh, we are all very originally Scottish. All okay. in my entire family. Yeah. So where so, where did where did Zimbabwe come in then? What? What generation was it that moved there? So my mum's side was uh, my grandparents were already were already here. So my mum's dad, um, my great granddad, he moved out when my granny was a child. Okay. Um, and yeah, so he actually he was in the navy and he moved out here then. And then for my um, on my dad's side of things, my both my grandparents actually my granddad was from Steps. Um, and they also had their family owned. I don't know if you lock, know Loch Lomond very well. I don't, but I probably can get by if you say something. There's an <laughs> island by Balmahar called okay. Infad. Mm-hmm. Heard um, of it. Oh. <laughs> my, my granddad grew up on that island and in steps. So um, he was one of nine kids, and um, their family were in the printing business. And my granny was from near Perth. Um, they met and got married and then decided that they were going to come to Africa. Um, and when he told his father he was the oldest son, he basically got told, okay, well, go and never come back because, you you know, you're leading down the family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're, you're giving up the farm and all this. Or, I give up all, the, the whatever, yeah. Yeah, so um, they did and they came and he was a um, – they moved to a place called Benjura Haulage and they – Benjura Haulage? Benjura. And they started a company called Benjura Haulage. Um <laughs> And yeah, and a flying school because my he was a pilot, so they both were glider. It was very, it was they they were very cool. Um, no, they sounded very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they started a gliding school, which actually is still going. Yeah, and Benjura Haulage is still going, but they sold it. And my granddad was then a Harry Ferguson dealer, which is now Massey Ferguson. So okay. he he brought like some of the first combines and things like that um, to Zim, and um, started. A company called Land Prep and basically opened up a lot of farming units in certain areas in Zim. And then at that point, he found our farm and he bought it. Um, and that's where my dad and my auntie grew up, and then my brother and myself. And my mum, my mum's side of the family were from another part of the country, um, quite close by, which we, my aunt still owns that farm. So that's still in the family, which is quite nice. Well, I mean, like, um, your grandfather sounds like one of those really cool folks that's just done everything, doesn't he? No, he was, and everyone yeah. knows him. And it's very cool. So he did, he did some amazing things. So, um, yeah, no, we miss him. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, for, for obvious reasons, but also yeah. some great stories in there as well. Um, yeah. So you're in Scotland and uh, you decided studying was for you. Um, now, <laughs> for those of you listening, uh, Blythe and I were at uni together at the same time. Um, I can't remember. Were you the year above me or the year below me? We were a year apart. Well, I don't know. I, who was it? I who was, was like that? the granny because I went back late to uni, so I was like 
an adult learner. <laughs> a mature student. A mature student. A ma- that was it. Not an adult, a mature student. <laughs> uh, I was in um, you and Cochrane's year, Ben Shaw. Yeah, so you're Craig. the year, year down, one down, one below me. Yeah. 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 And uh, we, we've spoke for a few months now, and I, I remember you, but for some reason, we never really sort of crossed paths, which is quite strange. No. It's quite small, you know. Um, I wasn't really social at that point in my life, so that's probably why I was a hermit. Maybe I was too much the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what, what, um, what made you choose agriculture? It obviously sort of been in your past, but maybe you were a bit young to really sort of been involved. So uh, what made you choose that? Oh, I've just always loved the industry. And it's, it's one of those, I think it's, it's ever changing and there's so many different facets that you can always fit in. And I, you know, like there's a whole nother side that I, I like, I'm quite a creative person. I get very bored. I've almost got a bit of like ADHD. And um, so I, I love it because I just feel like I'm never not learning. I'm never not moving. Um, and it's, it's, it's a solid degree. I always I think it's buildable as well. I think you have to kind of choose a direction if you're going to stick with it, which is the brutal reality as well, because I think it can be a little bit vague. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was the main reason I just, I've always loved it. And I think it's the idea that you just want to continue, you know, knowing more and what actually it is you love about it. But I grew up on a farm and I think you always think, well, it's what I know. Um, But yeah, since I was young, I've always wanted to study agriculture. It's, uh, it's funny that, that I've heard a few folks say that, the sort of idea of it being vague, but personally, I, I like that. You know, there's there's mm. two ways you can look at vague. You can look at, um, oh, well, it's just sort of covering everything, but not really covering anything. But I like mm. that because that meant I got to touch on everything, but also I could be like, well, this is my thing. Let's go down that route. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I quite like that. Did, did you find your sort of idea of farming compared to the group was different to the rest? Uh, yes and no, because at the time I was living um, just outside Castle Douglas on a beef and sheep yeah. farm. So um, it was to the core very different. And I knew I just really liked crops and everything. And like, you know, at some point you're like, wheat and barley are a bit boring. I, oh, <laughs> you want to grow something what For like sure. what I was used to and uh, what I remember. But at the same time, like it was inc- it was amazing to me. I completely fell in love with that industry. Um, I, I loved it. I loved the markets. I loved, yeah, every aspect of it, the community. Um, I started taking pictures of cows just for kind of advertising on the farm. And then from there, um, I started doing it for other people. And you, yeah, you meet so many people. And actually, moving to Scotland was very, dif- like, very difficult culturally. Um, I remember someone said to me the first time they heard me speak, um, they thought I was just the posh English bird. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I was like straight I, out of the bush, I really. Hate, I hate the word bird. I hate it. I know. It's oh, it's such a horrible word. Bird. Bird. <laughs> <laughs> You've said it the exact way everyone says it as well. Yeah. So I was like, oh. and I was like, I can sense the negativity in that. Um, which was also, I was like, oh God, now, like, am I going to fit in here? I, and I was very lucky. I went to I went to Wallace Hall and I made some amazing friends, and I did. And I think the person I am, I managed to kind of slot in and and figure it out as I went along. But when in agriculture, kind of no matter where you are in the world, you all have a fundamental understanding of just how it is. 
it's just how it is you work hard you know it's the farm comes first second third you know it's always yeah. we all have that one connection you and you know? also have that sort of understanding of just life in general mm. like life is real and death is real and, and it, it almost yes. especially sort of from the livestock side you you understand that like people you know someone dies in the family and it's always hard of course it is but yeah. it ruins some people's lives but i think we kind of understand like well that's the progression and they're probably just we next door die, another yeah for sure it's brutal um, but we do so no it was important and i came from you know completely a full like an arable horticultural background and then to be yeah lambing and carving and death yeah as, as you say it's just that cycle and yeah it was and i loved it i absolutely loved it so yeah to answer your question i found it difficult for many reasons but also yeah i loved it you um, and the community i got from it that was yeah that's a huge part i mean we spoke off camera about young farmers which is just a small part of it but like it's such a fantastic like networky industry you know i've moved to dumfries what a year ago and i've built up loads of friends here purely because mm. of that farming side that sort of connection mm. that you're talking about i'd probably never considered it that way honestly yeah um, you're obviously much better about remembering the interview than i am because i didn't remember the question and you said to go back to the question i'm like oh i wonder what the <laughs> question was which is um, good because i waffle a lot <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah yeah you have to stop me to sometimes the... just put your hands up <laughs> oh we haven't 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 came to that yet um you mentioned about sort of taking photos, photos of livestock and, and for other folk. Was Did you ever consider that as like a career or was it just sort of a bit of fun thing? During kind of the end of COVID, I mean, I think I applied for, when I got back from skiing, I think I applied for about 27 jobs. Um, yep. And that was difficult because, you know, I think going back into that, you're also a little bit, the agricultural community is very like small. So a lot mm -hmm. of, everything basically is based on who you know what you know, and that's what everyone says or who you know what you know like oh it's not gonna be a problem i'll find a job 27 applications later <laughs> and you're like, oh, a job. what am i gonna do you know i have to sell my body so like literally <laughs> sorry i don't know if you can cut that out oh my god that's your um, first go-to <laughs> obviously not <laughs> but um I then got, actually, I got one interview, which I felt a bit catfished by. So it was with the, should I say the company? Yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> a well-known company. And um, basically got like to second stage of this um, interview. And basically they said, you're going to need to do a presentation now to prove to us how much you want this job. You know, that's kind of how they make you feel. And um I was like, okay, cool, subject. What's the subject title? The Badger Cull. And okay. I was like, wow, that is really not a subject title I want to cover. You know, anyway, it's a, basically... It's a, it's a one. You don't know what everyone's thinking. And it's no, my job was to go around to all the farmers and educate them on how we should potentially vaccinate all these badgers. And I thought, you don't know what community I live in. I'm not going to be lynched. <laughs> So I said, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm going to be poor and I will look for the next one. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and, and at that point, when things started opening up again, I did, you know, I did all my branding and everything. Um, I do have an Instagram page, so it's there. Um, and plug it, I started. Plug it, plug it. 
livestock by Blythick and not very imaginative. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's, you know, I've only done a little bit. Yeah. So it's more of a hobby, but it did. Yeah. I started to push it and it started to pick up a bit. I did. um, I've done like a couple um, commissions for people. I did one for a restaurant um, at Lagan, which is a very, really cool place. I did that. Literally just off the phone to Lagan to book an SRUC trip there with students. Literally oh, cool. before we started yeah. this. Vicky and Duncan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I did these two big pictures of sheep in there. Um, I did those. Um, but yeah, so it kind of became, but I, I didn't really see, and I, as I said previously, I've always just wanted to do um, agronomy and be involved in growing things. So it was kind of like, I can come back to that. I can keep it on the, on the burner. But um, yeah, I wanted to see what, what else was out there when there was not very many options. Yeah, well, that was it. And and that interview process is hell. It's so Uh, hard. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, I I tell my students this, like, you know, I I sort of get them ready for interviews and and whatever, and I tell them my worst interview story, which I'll share with you. Um, (laughs) They give you you the glass, don't they, and and the sort of the water. Would you like a drink, Mr. Curry? And uh, I was a wee bit nervous, and, you know, I was sort of shaking a wee bit. And... uh, uh, I said, oh, I'll just get a wee drink. And I started pouring it. And I was responding to a man's question as I was pouring this water. And, and the water, well, I, I filled the glass and it overflowed, right? Oh, and my then, gosh. <laughs> like, oh, no worries, Mr. Curry. He was just a bit nervous. And I'd seen on a YouTube video about a month before <laughs> what to say. And I was like, do you know what? Go for it. They either love it or they hate it. Uh, I was like, no, no, sorry, sorry. I just always give 110%. Uh, <laughs> They did not like it at all. No, <laughs> did they think you did it on purpose? Oof, just the, the room I was like take dead. that job because they'd be boring. Oh well, I, I didn't. Well, I, I didn't really get the opportunity to take it. I must say, but uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah. it was off the card straight away. But uh, I always you should have made. I'm actually always a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> full. full. <laughs> <laughs> a glass and a half full. Uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I went through, got a degree, got a master's, got a pretty good master's in fairness and had a pretty good online thing at that stage and I had a lot of stuff to sell myself with. And it was just hell. Like, I just could not. No, it's awful. It's hard. And you turn but... into such a, you know, like a strange cat. You, like, suddenly yeah. forget how to behave in front of humans and, oh, am I sweating? Am I not? Am I saying the wrong thing? Oh, it's terrible. You get, like, amnesia. It's horrible. It's surreal, like it, it especially is when surreal. you don't know how to sell yourself. Like, it's not, exactly, it's not yeah. natural to everyone to be like, "I am the greatest." Especially as people that have any ties to Scotland, uh, we just, yeah. just can't. That <laughs> 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 you're a good point. Good point. Uh, I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A Plan Rural. A Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over. And we'll give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Um, the, the one question I had about a studying, did you do three or four years? Four. Two years, four. Uh, what, what was your four. dissertation on? Uh, the vernalization on winter wheat and then it transfer, transformed. It's funny. I was like, oh my gosh, can I actually remember that? Um, <laughs> Basically, whether late drilled, there's a long title, you know, those the late yep. drilled winter wheat is it viable, basically? Because oh, okay. right. I could, yeah, so it was a very long 
winded long uh, rats ate my wheat oh it was a whole scene so uh, yeah did that come into the results or did you omit that i did put that in one of the anomalies <laughs> and they're not me he's yeah, referred to almost... appendix number picture of rat rat <laughs> Actually, I'll tell a funny story. So I lived in a village. I'm not going to name it in case anyone in that village. <laughs> okay, fair. Yep. Because uh-huh. I never <laughs> took responsibility. <laughs> um, get arrested for that. Um, but basically, I I kept all. I had 40 bag samples of all of my grain, and then I'd done all my you know thousand grain weight calculations. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my weight, everything. And then you know, I thought, okay, let me. I need to do it again. We need a little bit more data. That's fine. I went back and most of the bags were empty. And I was like, oh no. Then I saw the rat poo and the mouse poo. And then we had a, this is where it gets hilarious, is we have a community Facebook page. Okay. (laughs) Which people, you know, it was, it's a very active facebook page i'm sure some of my friends who now live in that village will be listening to this um but <laughs> that's gonna get out this... isn't it <laughs> in caps rats spotted at number 65 and like the size of these things so i was like oh shame i don't know why that came up <laughs> literally then i then it was then i found out that obviously all my bags and i was a basically a breeding ground for these massive rats because i was number 67 <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Got you. I was that like, wasn't... what are we going to do to sort this out? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I, don't I really, I really want to Google rat spotted at number 65 and it's see. On, if... It's on um, Facebook. <laughs> you, it's a, pro, a closed group, but I'm still on it. Yep. Definitely comes up. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to do was Google exactly what you said. <laughs> We can, we can edit this bit out if you want. Um. We can edit. <laughs> anyway, basically, I bred rats for my dissertation. Should have done like, that. I can Good see point. why you don't want that one getting out. <laughs> I know. God, they'll name and shame me. They'll probably kick me off the group. That's it. You're gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm still there, like a ghost in the background, hoping I might live there one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. What's that supposed to say before agronomy? Yeah, it's ski season. Where did you go? Val d'Azur. Lovely. Yeah. That'd be the nice. The best. Oh, I miss it. Really? I loved it. Yeah. No, I loved it. I just, it was such fun. It was really, really good fun. Yeah. Um, just, you know, like you don't actually realise how little responsibility in life you have when you do something like that. And that, you know, at the time you're stressing about putting the right tiles out or whatever. Um but then, yeah, you kind of adult a little bit longer post that and you're like, what I would do to go back there. <laughs> Just for- it's, it's funny you say that. Do you know, like, I mean, we, we're both in sort of jobs, I guess, looking in are quite stressful. You know, you have a lot of people, uh, their businesses involved and in, in what you do and what your decisions are. I've got students and, and families further afield of that. But I find less stress in my current job than I did working in the shop because if the lemons weren't perfectly out, I thought I was just ruining everyone's life. <laughs> you know? You're it's telling like, me about perfect lemons. We're the ones sending them to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and we yeah. get, in this country, we get the bloody rejects. <laughs> well, this is a, we should get into this, actually. We'll get into what you do in a minute, but you've brought up a really important point. 
You say you get rejects. I hate the fact that wonky veg is a thing. It's a vegetable. Oh, I know. You're cutting it up. Like, <laughs> Honestly, the, the beauty industry and the veg industry are practically on the same page. It's so Absolutely yeah. mental. And so is, is that a thing in Zimbabwe? You just get wonky veg or do you just have what we call veg? Uh, it's just it's just wonky because we just get... The, so everything exportable, we get the seconds in our supermarkets. Yeah, and okay. they're expensive. Oh. They're like super expensive because our currency is, um, well, useless. So, is it? Um, yeah, at the cost of living, I think I read, um, I didn't read, that's a straight up lie. Someone told me the other day they read that uh, in The Economist, Zimb- Harare, where I live, is one of the most expensive, number four in Africa or the world city to live in. Really? Mm. Wow. Mm. It's funny that you would almost think the opposite. No, um, I know. I mean, yeah. I can stop on the side of the road and get loads of things, which that's what I do because I travel so much. But if you are living here, uh, you know, this is a good point of reference. A jungle oats bar is about $8. I mean, I don't know what a jungle oats bar is, but I'm guessing it's just a little... An snack. oats bar. Sorry. An, oh, yeah, right. Like okay. Waker oats bar, essentially. Wow. Jungle is the one, yeah. That's no, no. So I probably spend on food a month for two. My brother's here at the moment. He eats a lot. So like 300 easy. Shit. Did yeah. not think that. And, and, and does the, does the, the sort of, the salaries match that? Yes and no. Some are... Yeah. It, you know, it's very difficult. There's two very big divides in Zimbabwe, but also uh, there's a lot of the people who kind of were here before we all started kind of coming back and dribbling and we're always making, we have a Zimbabwean saying, no matter what the case, you always say, we'll make a plan. So if anything happens, fine, we'll make a plan. Don't stress about oh, yes. it. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of incredibly rich people. So, you know, misproportionately rich just mm-hmm. so stinking rich not always from the best means but other people who have done things the right, right way um but then there's you know then there's us who kind of just live in the middle um and then there's the poor 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 oh, yeah. um and you know those salaries are wild yeah a few dollars a day kind of thing so they don't buy those shops they live on the land a lot they forage they do things like that um but yeah i wouldn't say my salary goes a long way here and we yeah. it's very difficult to do things like get money out the country and yeah it's it's a cash um run country oh is it right okay yeah, yeah. we have the us dollar and then we have the zimbabwean dollar and what's the sort of uh, exchange roughly so when i first moved here uh it was at 180 to one. Right, okay. In fact, yeah. in fact, I think it was 80. And then, so, okay, this is going to get a little bit complicated. I'll explain it as simply as I can. So the Zim dollar, the bond, which is called, it, it started at one to one. They introduced it to try and... All right, okay. Uh, then you have the bank rate that the bank set, which yes. is like the 80 to one when I moved here mm-hmm. in January 
two Januaries ago. Quite um, a difference from one to one, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> then you have the black market rate, which would be like 180. Then you'll have the blended rate, which is the bank rate and the black market rate somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Because someone doesn't want to get caught for something. So most shops, big shops, have to go on bank rate. So if you earn Zimbabwean dollar, it's great to go to these big shops because everyone's working on the black market rate so you can get so much more for your yes. bank rate. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? It currently, does, yes. <laughs> currently, the bank rate 700. <laughs> That's oh. two years. 700. The black market rates, I think, somewhere around 900, 950. And the blended rates, about 880. Oh. So it's, it's went from one to one to a peak almost a thousand yeah and, and she, i moved no, chat with, with at 80 and that was two years ago that's mental jeez mm. that's yeah. almost yeah wow god you hear the changes yeah. like you know one or two times that's that's crazy mm-hmm. so the problem is with that is like you you know the supermarkets have to advertise in bond mm-hmm. so you can opt to pay in dollars but when you pay in dollars they inflate their bond rate so what you would usually pay for something like two dollars i mean like olive oil for half a liter of olive oil is about 15 dollars 500 mils so you know like certain things that are importable and things like that they just fly that's crazy that's crazy um I'm gonna I'm gonna try and show off a little bit, but I always do this and then cock up when it's a different country. But am I right in saying Harare is the capital, but Bulawayo is the biggest city? At one time, probably it's not yeah. anymore. No, I, not anymore. Do you know you've you've outdone me? <laughs> no, it's yeah. I, no, but it, like in fairness, uh, geography is yeah. like my nerdy bit. Like, <laughs> no, but it. I think I, I definitely at one point, but the city is yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um so what are you doing now like you're now what was that <laughs> no one goes to pull away <laughs> oh see oh i'm, oh, I'm struggling struggling uh, it's now. hot there it's very hot and that's very hot given you're currently in what late 20s in january mm. so what what is absolute peak temperature what time of the year and what is it where you are uh harari's not so bad 38 maybe 40 um, and that's when there's other places that yeah 45 no couldn't do it so i, I have um burn. in my car when i go on farm i have we call it a budzer but it's like a mini hoe okay yeah um and it's like a little pick so i'm always you know digging and i went last year this one place called middle sabi which is actually one of the places my granddad helped develop um okay and i took my budzer out of the car uh, flung it and i had a, a blister right that's how hot it was yeah i hate Jesus. that place that's mental. <laughs> yeah. yeah well see I, yeah. i'm always worried that my beard will combust or something that'd be a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> no be itchy <laughs> probably yeah but, but everyone says everyone says oh is it not itchy it's not, i have never had an itchy beard ever um yeah so it's just not the case. Anyway, oh. we're talking about things that I did not expect to talk about you. Um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, so you said uh, basically the last flight possible from Scotland, you decided to jump on. What made you jump on that flight? 
my friend's wedding to get back. Of for course, that. you said and that. Also, also, actually, just to get out of Scotland with se- these severe lockdowns, I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, not. Um, I, I I did start. Um, it was called the supply van for a short time. Okay. My brother, my brother had some work vans. He had an electrical company there, and uh, he had some work vans um, that weren't being used, obviously, because of the lockdown. So I started doing food shopping for old people. Was this in Scotland or in Zimbabwe? Sorry, in Scotland. In Scotland, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, I got council approval, um, and then would just go to Tesco's, and that was like my daily outing. I went to Tesco's like three times, <laughs> just shopping. <laughs> I was like, ooh, at least it's better than what other people are doing. It was super exciting doing people's (laughs) shopping. And then you kind of get a bit enough of it because you get there and someone's like, oh, I asked for the 250 mil, not the 275 mil. And you're like, we're in a pandemic, (laughs) you know? It was was such a a, a surreal time. And, you know, it's funny funny you said that. That always always reminds me of um, when, uh, like, Deliveries became a thing, not because of COVID, like Tesco and that started doing deliveries. And uh, I, I I started getting them. And I'd put in for something like like a, a chocolate cake or like just sort of some kind of snack thing. And I always remembered, and I've got the photo somewhere, this receipt in it, or, or, or exchange, whatever the thing was, um, saying, sorry, we couldn't find your Nevis chocolate cake. But instead, we've got you some dental mouthwash. I went, perfect. That was just what I was after. What even algorithm or cookie did that that's outrageous <laughs> i was like, oh fantastic i fair enjoyed that but, um, you've done yeah, me so a you... service thank you so much <laughs> so, i know what what what, what an offer um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've got bored of sort of buying everyone's shopping and uh, you decide to jump the plane go for the wedding uh, which mm. was was zimbabwe in lockdown and that was that a thing or yes but you know it was a yes but <laughs> <laughs> so no is what it was then it was there <laughs> yeah we were i mean we had very strict curfew rules and you had to have you know like uh, essential services letters and things but basically it was just a gigantic bribing kind of right. opportunity yeah. um but i mean they did take it seriously for quite a while and obviously we did take it on a level seriously with some of the older generation and people who were more vulnerable but there was a very much adopted attitude of if you're comfortable going out, go out. If you're not comfortable going out, stay in. That's your, yeah. um, which is obviously, it, it was much nicer. Um, we had very strict curfews, six till six. And then it was like six till seven, six till eight. And then eventually yeah. um, it does. Yeah. It, I mean, there were a few times where I broke curfew. <laughs> oh. And, um, oh, I know. Ooh, bad. So, uh, yeah, no, but um, I actually got, uh, chased by the police once what did you oh shit well no. okay well yeah. it was a bit of an adrenaline uh, i ruined someone's lawn evading them <laughs> so shouldn't admit that because you live in a very well run country <laughs> you, you've you've admitted to a lot of things on this podcast i know gosh yeah. oh my god <laughs> it, you know that idea of go out if you want to go out don't go out if you don't is how it should have been from the start like mm. it was the the way it was here was I mean there's a TikTok sort of trend going along now two weeks off and how people have changed in the next the next two and a half years three years now, um, 
yeah, it was it was too much. And from the you're saying you're a police chase. There was the sort of photos going round back here. You'd have still been here of like uh, Boris on the helicopter, like watching <laughs> you. You're, you've been out running for sixty one minutes. Get the snipers out, you know. Uh, <clears throat> it was all very surreal, like. But um, yeah, you 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 went back uh, and. Were, were you straight into work? Did you find finding a job in Zimbabwe easier than you did in Scotland or was it similar? Oh, yeah, no, it was immediate. Mm. So was it? So, I mean, so I was in Zambia from October to December with yeah. my parents. And I just kind of thought one of uh, my mum's friends was in recruiting and, and she said, you know, just chuck your CV out and see what happens. And I, I, I just thought, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, and I did and, yeah, no it was pretty immediate and I moved to Zim early Jan and I started three days later with my one suitcase. Now I have couches and all kinds of stuff. Well, if, if I can see over your shoulder correctly, it looks like a very fancy living room set up. Um, I'm in a new complex. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Humble flex. It's safe. Um, yeah. Uh, this is my little garden. Uh, oh, usually gardens here are a lot bigger um, but no it's perfect for me because it's very lock up and go there we that's are. really nice I even have a TV and a well, fridge that, that's what I could see, I could see the TV on the wall I could see that was quite nice yeah, 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 yeah. No, so it's, no it's good I, I'm very lucky um, but no it's hard work here um, people, people work very hard I can believe that and basically every time I've spoke to you you've either I haven't been working for about 16 hours or, you know, just coming home and you're like, I've got an hour before I've got to go to bed or whatever. So what what is work, first off? Let's get into that. What is your job? Yeah, well, sticking to my bedtime schedule, which is <laughs> the biggest <laughs> job. Isn't it? Um, don't go past half eight. I don't want to talk to anyone after that time. Um, but so I am doing technical i'm a technical advisor for an export company so i do agronomy um and advisory services for flowers predominantly i've been moved into the flower department so now i'm uh the flower manager there Ooh. and i do yeah peas and blueberries mm. it was do you know the the the, the blueberry thing was the one that blueberries are hands down my Nah, they're my second favourite fruit, but they're so good. I bloody love blueberries. Yeah. I could love Yeah. The work um, that goes into one bloody blueberry. <laughs> what, what, what is the work that goes into one bloody blueberry then? What's involved? Uh, so we basically, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot um, to it, but basically uh, most of the varieties are owned by certain companies and um, we, our company works with one provider of that and then we have our own premium market so we have our growers that are allocated to that my colleague brian he heads up the blueberry department and then i handle kind of quality control and putting in sops and helping him with that and helping the growers set up pack shed so basically i go through their pack shed and um go through all of their sops and efficiencies and everything like that and picking from picking um picking cycles ripeness uh, do you know what? Let me. I, in fact, I have to speak about it. Hey, I'm going to show you something. Um, but basically, there's about 40 different parameters to one blueberry to get it to the perfect standard right. to be able to go Tesco's, Waitrose, um, Marks and Spencers, things like that. So um, it's 
keeping the farmers accountable to quality parameters under certain percentages to be able to make them exportable yeah. um, to stick to you know a 35 day shelf life they need to have a 35 day shelf life because we send them sea freight okay got you and so the majority of our of, of our exporters sea freight blueberries which um is quite a feat well uh, yeah definitely and you said you said there's something to show you can show there's people that watch oh. youtube but i don't know if that helps but um 40 parameters that's insane it's, it's funny like yeah. i mean I'm trying to think, you know, comparing it to even like products we create here, like there probably is a ridiculous amount of parameters. We just encompass it under certain things. Yeah, and yeah. But 40 is a lot. It seems a lot. It's anyway. not quite. It's probably, it's, it's not. Oh, I'll show you. It's it, it's not really like 40. It's, it's. But I know um, what you mean. Yeah, like, there's different levels within each parameter. Yeah. So yeah. that one will be like 3%, 5%, 2%, yeah. you know. And then, you know, everything is hand harvested. And so we've got to take into account how many people you need per hectare to pick that amount of blueberries. What's your picking cycle? What's your time? What's it's it's um, it's very interesting. Um, I'm just trying to pick up this protocol. It's like it's like picking a big employer. I'm guessing be quite a lot of people do that, I assume. I can't find it. I'll try and find no, it. That's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Um, picking a big employer. Sorry. Like not employer. Like what? Are a lot of people employed picking? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. it's um, and then also so we grade in fields as well. Um, we don't have uh automated system because hand picked berries are generally the best pick quality sure. that you can yeah. get. Um, we are looking at certain mechanization, but you know, you're not allowed to drop a berry. You can't roll a berry because it has bloom. I don't know if you know what bloom is. I, I don't. I was just about to ask. <laughs> yeah. So bloom, when you look at a blueberry, it makes it look blue. That's the bloom. Ah, okay. So if you rub that off, it goes black and it looks like a blackberry. I don't know if you've ever noticed your blueberries either look darker or lighter. Oh, is that what that's called? Right. Okay. That's Got called you. bloom. And to that on the bush is absolutely perfect and then as soon as it's been handled some of that will will get rubbed off and right. if you lose all of your bloom that's another it, it respires quicker it rots quicker it, it looks bad that you know companies don't want it um so there's teaching a picker um and there's a lot of it, it's it's all education so we spend a lot of our time educating because a lot of these people are from less educated backgrounds, um, they don't understand the exact importance of what they're doing, then it's very hard to get that top quality. Um, so my language is taking, it's, it's getting better again. So what, <laughs> what, what, is that. What, is the, um, what is the language? Shona. Say yeah. it again? Shona. It's okay. like the Scottish oh. name Shona. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like it, doesn't That's it? That's yeah, exactly it's how it's felt, yeah. Is it? And uh, yeah. could, could you give us a wee, um, hello, my name's Blythe and Shona? Oh, it makes me mortified to say, could I say Blythe? <laughs> could I say, okay, could I say. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's, there's many, like, yeah, so, um, no, it's good. It, 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 that's our main, that's our main battle, really, is quality. Um, and, yeah. Out of the field, time to time to cold room has to be about less than 30 minutes to, to two degrees, so try and that, keep it that, under that, an hour that's the same in peas as well you mentioned peas that's a big chase in peas as well is it not getting it to that frozen 
Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. just munch too and sugar snap, so it's not as bad. Um, I absolutely love sugar snap peas. Yeah. No, they're, they're delicious. Yeah. But when you have to try them every morning at six o'clock, yeah. <laughs> probably border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even blueberries, to be honest. No, I can imagine Fair that. But we, we do, and then we have our size parameters, which are very cool because 90% of the world don't see the, we have a parameter that's 18 to 22 mils. So that's like yeah. a small okay. golf ball. Um, and those go like to Asian markets, Dubai. Uh, well, I was uh, going to say, that, that's massive. Yeah, that's, huge. We had yeah. a 44 mil berry. 44, so that's like... Like the size of a watch face. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen that often. That one was, it's still in the farmer's freezer. He's keeping it for a rainy day. I think he wanted to send it to Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if he leaves it in the freezer long enough, it might. <laughs> I don't know if that's how freezers work. But anyway, um, yeah. that's, that's huge. I know what you said yeah. that's like global size, but even the 20 mil ones, the, the 18, 22. Big. And we're actually, and, this year, we're introducing a 22 plus. Right, okay. Yeah. Mm. And that will yeah. be a specific variety that will hit that or yeah so most companies um that breed their own varieties will breed for certain um characteristics and um there's some that are very similar so like tesco's all of these companies marks and spencers everything um we don't do that much into the uk we do do to uh to tesco's and marks and spencers a bit so um mostly we're Dubai, Asia, things like that, into some other areas in Europe. But they they will dictate the variety that they want. That's and, and that's what I actually found so interesting is when I was in the UK, I know we have there's so much more traceability in Zimbabwe there's zero traceability. But your global gap, all of your parameters, muddy boots, we do it all here as well. Which, you know, a lot of people don't really realise that traceability goes back to to each block, yes. each row. That we're picking and things like that so it is amazing that you know even in a third world country that that does follow through and that these companies actually are very well educated in the varieties that they want right okay. they, yeah. they know what the customer wants and they don't necessarily know exactly why or what they're talking about they just get told yeah. i want that and i want that and i want that and we don't want anything else so um yeah that that surprised me a lot i didn't think that that was really a thing so it's it's interesting you say third world it's quite often mm. a, a term we try to avoid but is that what is just used in zimbabwe is that oh, yeah i didn't even know that's what we try and avoid yeah no i mean it'd be, i wouldn't say i would consider it this but it's considered offensive in scotland like in the uk oh, is it yeah um, oh my god i'm supposed to say I'm saying supposed supposed to say as you're in this country and from this country, but what what would be deemed appropriate here would be developing, which I think is a rubbish word. Uh, it means that people are less that, developed. That's yeah, I suppose that's giving a lot of uh, hope. <laughs> yeah, well, I said, well, yeah, maybe even looking at it that way. We are I, no, I, we I, are developing. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, but we we we. Okay, yeah. I think that's that's it's fair though. That's mm. quite normal. Um, yeah. But I, the thing I don't like about it is it, it assumes that the countries that we don't deem developing, the UK, US, Canada, are developed. And therefore, there's nothing better we can do. And that's nonsense. But yeah, just, just an interesting thought that, that you said that. Mm. Um, no, that's, and I must remember that. Yeah. The, the flower section, what's involved in the flower section? I asked that um, 
couple of reasons. If, if you are listening to the podcast, guys, um, this is number 84. Uh, number 77, we had a Alstroemeria grower in, in Brighton. Uh, and I believe he's the, 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 the last fourth gen flower grower in the UK, I believe. Uh, wow. big, but yeah, that was number 77. Really interesting. I spent an hour and five minutes not having a clue what I was talking about, which is quite quite common. Um, but oh, yeah, I'm if you're interested... To that one. I haven't listened to that one. <laughs> please, please do, because you might understand more than I did. Um, the, but, so if you're interested in flowers, Blythe, I'm sure, is about to tell us some as well, but also go check out 77. So yeah, what's involved in the flower side? But... Do you want me to go through varieties or just my day-to-day? Yeah, go through, yeah, go through both. What, what, um, what so are uh, we, we mainly supply... Uh, Zimbabwe does a lot of fillers. We actually used to be the third biggest flower supplier in the 90s before land reform. Um, right, okay. So we were, you know, we were huge. And now we're, we're really just a blip in the ocean. But we have some amazing farmers that have managed to stick it out over over time. And we still provide incredibly high quality fillers. Um, and then we are going into more niche products. Um, right. So for high-end markets and things like that. Because, you know... <sighs> flowers going we we work with the um, a dutch flower group in the in holland they are one one of our partners that we work with yeah. um and uh you know production into holland used to be at 55 percent this year it's down to 44 so at, on a whole the flower industry isn't necessarily growing people are just becoming more picky about what they want and then obviously not to mention for for us it's been a very difficult year because of the war um which obviously is terrible Prices have gone up. Price of living has gone gone up. The last thing someone's going to prioritize is buying a bouquet when they go to the supermarket or yeah, yeah. going out to a florist when you're paying. One of my friends is Swedish here, and her mum's um, her uncle was paying eighty dollars a day in his house in Sweden. Wow. To heat, yeah. To no, not to heat it. To like ele- electricity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know He's when people born. are are paying that amount, the last thing they're going to do. Um, is buy a bunch of flowers. So, yeah, our main varieties are fillers. So it has been a little bit tough this year already. Uh, we're hoping the market picks up from now. People kind of remember that flowers exist. But, yeah, we grow asters, um, which uh, I don't know how to they, – they're just a filler. They've got – they're beautiful little things. Um, I'm just going to quickly, quickly interrupt life because I'm sure I'm asking a question for everyone else as well and not just yeah. myself. What's a filler? <laughs> I'm oh, guessing sorry. it's not the main plant in the middle and it's the ones around the main plant. The yeah, plant you know, you, there's is... always like a couple of roses, something a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay. I'll touch on it. Great. That's fun. It's the bulk around right. it that's still Sorry, pretty yes. um but it kind of holds the structure of a bouquet but also the, the most interesting thing is and that uh, the Alstroemeria grow would have told you is that the entire um fashion is changing. No one wants yeah. perfect bouquets anymore. They want big lopsided orange and weird colors and they don't want things to be perfect as such so that's also taken a bit of a bashing because um a filler is a filler it's i mean i've got a thousand pictures on my phone (laughs) of flowers um so yeah so these are we do a lot of thistles it's a oh lovely yeah yeah eryngium um it's called the real name for a thistle and we actually supply so much into and it also it's produced in Portugal. That's actually mainly where it goes to Scotland. So, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, please excuse me. I'm pretty me. sure that's what I had on my kilt as a best man. Very yeah. Likely. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. and everyone's like oh it's a thistle and it's like well yep well, it's from probably from south africa or portugal <laughs> or not actually from <laughs> scotland um so and then we do hypericum a lot of hypericum which is that one you get pink okay. green you get pink green um white um all these different varieties we do tuberose so this guy this is very popular in the uk oh they're nice they're lovely mm. yeah they're beautiful so we do bulbs um crocosmia that guy um they're very popular at the moment yes. with the new fashion and yeah, so and um, we've got very cool projects at the moment. We are doing some delphiniums. That's been my biggest project. I've been working with a farm starting delphiniums, um, which I don't know if you know what a delphinium is. I have heard my mum say all of the names you've mentioned, but I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you one because they are just amazing. I've got a feeling um, I'm going to. No, put this two and two together the second you say it because was definitely a name I know it's a big long thing <laughs> oh that's not what I'm thinking in the slightest oh okay that, not what I went for but I yeah they're lovely absolutely gorgeous yep. yeah so they go up to like a meter um meter 10 meter 20 per stem so very hard to pack sometimes um but yeah so that's basically there's a few other things dotted in there. We do local chrysanthemums. Like it's, it's this year in the UK, I think they're at 50% production because of the heating bills and things. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a tough year for everyone and local production in the UK. It'd be interesting to actually hear how your previous chat is getting on. Well, it, well, it, it's, I think, um, Ben, his will be out at the time of recording on Friday. So it'll be out when this comes out, but it'll be out on Friday. Um, oh, cool. Tomorrow, tomorrow his comes out. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're five o'clock. It'll be out <coughs> tomorrow. Oh, um, perfect. What I do remember him saying was that, like the sort of the push was sort of local, obviously was promoting British products. And he said that uh, Colombia, Ethiopia, Ecuador, and one other, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I th yeah. That, yeah. Um, which is funny, actually, because that's two countries touching each other in Africa and two countries touching each other in South, Af South America. But anyway, um, they were sort of taking basically most of the trade away from Britain. And, and the fact that that he cared about sort of um, quality of his staff's life as well, you know, the human welfare side, and that obviously came with increased salaries, increased costs for the cottages they were in and such like. And he was like, yeah, it's just becoming almost unattainable. And, he, and his yeah. thing was no one's really backing it. Like the NFU covers flowers, but they don't really do it. They don't really care for it. And yeah. it's very sad for, I mean, for us, it's, it's also very difficult. We um, basically, you know, Kenya's a bit closer to market. Um, yeah. And what most of these flower companies now are aiming to do is get away from, um, from, from flying them in. Okay. And so you get a lot of flowers going sea freight. So their shelf life has to be longer and they're starting to grow more hardy varieties and they're doing things in Kenya and um, Ethiopia and things that we can't compete with. Yeah. And UK and on price and labor and everything else can't compete with. So it, it is, it's very difficult. It's, it's everything. And I mean, we, we, we sit to global gap standards, which are also set in the UK as well. So yeah, it's hard. It's, it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the things he said was um, about, about that exact thing that's going sea freight 
and uh, he, he was really good because it, it was he filmed it in the greenhouse. You'll probably quite enjoy it. He's showing like what stage the flower is at because they they sell three hundred and sixty five days a year, but he'll sell flowers with I believe a four day shelf life. Um, so he'll sell them as they're opening, uh, whereas the ones that are coming from Kenya are being sold almost with no bud showing, and then yeah. just before they open. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. Sort of hearing the it's the same thing. for us. So, like, um, I'm gonna quickly turn some lights on, and I'll show you. I've got a dolphinium that I'm doing a vase live test in my house. Oh, that's cool. um, so, um, do you notice how my lights turn on? I have solar. <laughs> so, oh, these as well. <laughs> These are called pin cushions. Um, so we do these. They're a protea family. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're very They're cool. so like pin cushions. That's class. This is brilliant. It's like, hi, I'm like, yeah. hey, welcome to my crib. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so my house is very messy. I'm like a fan. So this is my oh, one beautiful dolphinium. I don't know if I can get you closer. Look. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, this is a by mistake color. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to see um, how it opens. We've never seen this variety before. So, um, yeah, and if the market would like the color, it's really, it's really just dependent on what the market wants. Yeah, well, it's yeah. a nice mistake because it's a gorgeous color, isn't it? That sort of wild. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. So we, I think we have about two plants. But yeah, the, the sad thing is exactly what he's saying is, you know, when you are when you are growing these things, you're not getting to enjoy them. <laughs> they yes. they they they're closed and they have a, a very specific cut stage. So we we label cut stage from one to three, and we right. aim from either. Right cut stage two to two and a half once you go to two and a half it's too open and by the time it gets there the market will reject it because it's going to last less than 10 days in a in a bouquet yeah. well it, it's you know i'm actually i'm, I'm probably going to end up messaging ben because he's going to be interested in here on this side and from his side um but i guess what like you've sort of went over what's involved flower wise how it works what what's a day in your life like I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, so at this time of year, it's not any... We're kind of... Peak flower season, um, we're coming up to Valentine's. So basically my week, I wake up at five. I leave by about half five, six. I'm not a hang arounder. Um, and I just head out onto farm, basically advising any issues, picking up, right. doing forecasting, helping growers with forecasting, doing most of my grows. So we have a lot of different varieties coming through. So I'm doing propagation schedules, propagation plans, harvest protocols, um, things like that, trying to also find more product for my company to sell. Um, right. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and um, so we've got a lot of growers doing a lot of trials and putting in new products, so I manage those as well. So we do all oh, Clematis as well, which is like a vine. It's very cool. Um, so we're doing some stuff on that. And, yeah, so, I mean, it's never the same, which is why I love it. I imagine. Mm. It so and was what was that sorry pretty poor description of my day oh, not so, at all not at all yeah um yeah so pretty much 12 hours a day uh, mm. 
keeps you busy. Yeah. Busy. Is, are, are, are you working as part of a big team? Or you said, did you say you were managing? Is that right? Uh, yeah. So um, my um, direct boss own, owns the company. He used to actually do it on his own until basically, yeah, uh, he's right. brilliant. And then my direct line manager, he oversees all of the technical services. Right. He's more focused on the blueberries. Um, and now I'm managing the flowers so taking that on from him so that we can at least have a bit more time in a life well that's exactly yeah. Yeah. so you've got so i mean I, I still get involved in the in the blueberries so yeah 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 and does well so like i guess christmas valentine's and probably mother's day i don't know there's mother's a few mother's day. yeah there's a few mother's day around the years not all the not the same for every country are they yeah but, uh, my, my mum's birthday falls that she always gets Mother's Day and her birthday in the same week. Um, I hope she gets extra spoiled, not just one time. <laughs> yeah, she's lucky enough with the son she's got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she'd agree. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that myself. <laughs> Hi, Mum, because uh, I know you're listening because it's flowers. Uh, so <laughs> not because she wants the flowers, because she likes the growing of Um yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to get you flowers now. No, I've said that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Go look for my yeah. dolphiniums. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So <laughs> the, the first sort of, well, the last week and the first sort of few months of the year is flower season. But uh, blueberries, I guess, is more more your summertime and, and peas just all, I assume. I don't assume mm, peas. So, have yeah. Uh, so blueberries are our winter and peas yeah, are also yeah. our winter. So that, that I meant to ask you that. You said um, in... Some parts of the country can hit mid forties. What time mm. of year is that? That's like bull away. Um, midsummer, yeah. October, November. Um, right. <laughs> that kind of time, yeah. And just before, so the rains generally come. It's you know it's getting the, the ITCZ is moving down. Um, so our weather is actually changing and our seasons are changing. No one really yeah. is paying too much attention to it at the moment, but you know it really affects. We do a lot of dryland maize in this country, so it affects a lot of a lot of the maize production and things like that so yeah i mean generally our rainy season comes mid-november we got one rain in october this year um we don't really get winter rain in the higher parts of the country we do um right. eastern highlands things like that we we'll get a bit of winter drizzle it's called gooty it's very misty and foggy and drizzly um but we yeah, mid-November, before the rains come, it is hellish. Because you can almost feel the pressure building and you're just seeping from every pore. I imagine. But it's also... Delightful. It's also kind of nice because you haven't had it yeah. for... Yeah. yeah, because when, you know, everyone laughs at me here, you know, winter, oh my gosh, it's awful. Because we don't, we don't build for warmth. Yes, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't prep. We don't prep anything for warm. Which is kind of um, mad. <laughs> no, it, it's completely mad, and and I'm useless with the cold. I lived in Scotland for eleven years, and how managed. But um, you know, the mornings and the evenings, getting out of a shower, you just want to die. <laughs> it's it's horrendous. So, um, but then by the midday, you'll have your jacket off and you'll be in a shirt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but then yeah it gets it gets it gets very very cold we've had a couple frost events that's one of the big issues with the blueberries is um black frosts right. so 
we have frost fans, which are very, very cool, huge, expensive machines um, that the farmers have to invest in because, you know, one frost will just destroy the plant for the next two, three years. Well, that's it, yeah. Yeah, well, it's high stakes, though, isn't it? So you've got Mm. it. You've got to have that tech involved or you're going to find yourself in a... Yeah. I mean, this year, one of our biggest issues is we had a a huge outbreak of one pest. Um, Right. And it it destroyed, basically, almost destroyed the Zimbabwean blueberry industry. Out of nowhere. And has that happened before? Is that... Uh, No, not in that severity because we picked it up very late. Yeah. So it is a... Say it now. Mediterranean fruit fly. Right, okay. So um, basically how it works is the female can get impregnated and then she can actually lay an egg over the course of six weeks. Right. So, and, and she can drop one and then she can go to the next one and the next week she can drop another one and, and it might actually even be a bit longer than that. So the problem is all of the pheromones and things that we use only attract the male and we didn't pick ah, up. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. So w- we gauge how bad the severity is by how many males there are, but it doesn't directly tell you yeah. So that what, was that was quite hard. And I take it there's no sort of selective pesticide for them either. If nah, not able to throw in. They are, but you know, uh, our PPUs and things like that, we're not allowed to use a lot for. Yeah, I assume that would be. Yeah, and also a lot of them don't really work. And 90% of the problem is we can't get to the source because a lot of the farms are surrounded by like um, high population high density areas of people um you know living within their small houses with and they'll have like five tomato plants um -hmm. and you know things like that and then they don't spray those they don't treat those and uh that's where they come from they go breed there and then they they come across yeah well that's yeah when when there's humans involved directly it's always going to so we use we use predominantly biologicals right um, yeah. yeah to control things like that so yeah the, that was actually my favorite thing onto the biological thing was that um we're so advanced in zimbabwe and i couldn't believe it because i was like right. oh, never learned any of the stuff in the uk <laughs> so what what, um, what what biological control are you using uh we use different bacterias and viruses um right to control pests we work a lot with doodoo tech i don't know if you use that in the uk i mean maybe I, i'm not in this though <laughs> i think it's a swiss run company um but right. they do i think they use they use it in the uk quite a lot in horticulture um but yeah bacteria beneficial fungi viruses uh humix fulvix all kinds of things uh, soil amelioration products yeah well, it's people are very driven to be regenerative yeah I for am, a cost uh, purpose as well. For what, sorry? For cost purposes as well. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know if you've heard from Blythe, but last week I had Charles Dowding on, um, who is the father of no-dig farming, or no-dig... Yeah. yeah, you know, Charles. And he, he said that, he was. I was like, you know, what, what, from a regenerative perspective, is it worthwhile financially? Because there's always this challenge that folk think, well, mm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to uh, make, make as much money. And he was like, no, nah, there's definitely a way if you do it in an efficient manner that you're going to make more money. And it's interesting to hear a place like Zimbabwe doing that. Um, it's refreshing. Well, it's, I think. Nice. it's a nice place also for people to trial because we've got the temperature. So, you know, you guys 
with your climate to get the right species the right right strains for for your amount of water yeah number one um your soil temperature your just your climate it's very difficult to be able to trial quickly out with a lab and those are the best strains things that have been done in you know and most of these companies that we they're, they're swiss swedish but they all have labs in Kenya and all kinds of places where they breed yeah. all of these. So we get kind of first dibs at a lot of them um, and they work or they don't. And they do, they tell you quickly. Oh, yeah, true, true. And nothing yeah. has more wrath than an angry farmer with something he spent money on that doesn't work. <laughs> I can believe that. I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, like, yeah. And that's, pay- so that's my main drive as well is biological. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's got one of my, you know, one of my old colleagues said she has a nice saying it's always and I think it's the best way for people in the UK as well actually to approach it is it's a sustainable approach to conventional agriculture like that yeah like that yeah. yes very clever saying so Helen I stole that but um <laughs> but she's so right and then you know once you take that first step then you can go more but I think people try and run at things too quickly and you, you know it's, it's funny do you know the th- things you've tied into previous interviews I've conducted today? Like, I mean, I just mentioned Charles Dowding. If you're listening uh, and are interested in that comment from Helen, shout out Helen. Um, last week, uh, Charles spoke about what he believes is conventional farming, and he doesn't believe conventional farming is what we can call conventional farming. So go check that out to hear that side as well. Mm. Um, no, simply, we've we've tried many a time to arrange this interview we have uh, had came across many a barrier to stop it happening at the time yeah. but it's always going to come through um we've both been ill through both of it uh, and thankfully we're both here to tell the story um but no i appreciate you coming on it's been a great chat i've learned a lot oh, about a you. lot of things i knew nothing about um uh, hopefully you've enjoyed yourself as well no it's been uh, great good Good. Uh, I bet you didn't know you were doing a house tour when you kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to show you my room. That's a tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there is two questions I ask every single person before we finish. Um, and the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second is, if you had tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Where would I see myself in five years? Someone asked me that five years ago and I didn't know the answer there. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my answer because I genuinely don't have no idea. Yeah. I go with the wind. I, I just have always had itchy feet. Um, hopefully still in agriculture. The only thing I do know is I would like to be uh, consulting on my own. Um, okay. Yeah. And yeah, owning my own time, um, choosing where I go a bit better and not kind of being held to one job role i would say that's all i know but i don't know a geographical location or anything like that so i don't know um but one tip i would give people coming into agriculture is just stick with it um because it's ever changing and there's absolutely nothing you think you know that you can't learn more about oh i like that one that's a good one that's one of the best ones copyright yeah (laughs) (laughs) We'll get that clip. We'll get but that it's clip. true because every time I think I know something, I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't lie. Well, th- absolutely. I mean, I, to be honest, it's almost pushed me to the point I think I know nothing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. I'm like, why don't I know anything? 
<laughs> when I started doing biological um, agriculture and studying that, and you know, there's there's not really even any degree or qualification out there. There's actually if you dig into it, you can do microbiology, you can do biological, you can do chemical, you can do any degree you want, but not one of those degrees covers everything that is included like in the soil food web or how to manage or understand the, the tiny, tiny, tiny bit of information yeah. that we know. Um, so we're all basically cowboys out here trying to figure it out as we go along. Soil <laughs> but, food web, shout out to Lane Ingram, she's brilliant. Yes, yeah. she's amazing. Um, this but, is so yeah. weird. I mentioned her in last week's podcast as well. This is cool. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, going to be like the real OGs now. And I'll tell you, that's it. I, I know nothing about soil. Um, that uh, there's, I mentioned this last week, but I'll tell you because I think you'll like it. I was watching a seminar with uh, Elaine Ingram, and she's she's a she's an older lady, but maybe seventy mm-hmm. mid seventies. I'm not sure. And uh, she was talking about something to do with regenerative. I can't remember exactly regenerative farming, and she was saying like. If it's this, it's regenerative farming, and that's final, right? And the way she said it was, if it quacks, it's a duck. <laughs> I was like, I've told so many folks that story. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if it looks like, like a duck, swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. That's it, exactly. And let's, let's just <laughs> accept that. Let's not try and change the rules here. But no, I'll tell you one funny story about a duck now that we get onto that is with my Excellent. granddad. He once came to a restaurant here in Harare. He's probably stolen the story, but it doesn't matter. People will be like, I've heard that before. And he asked the waiter, what's the duck like? And he said, boss, it's like a chicken, but it swims. <laughs> but, you know, Elaine Ingram could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a good one. And I feel like because we're here, we've already done two duck jokes. We should maybe put a third there. Why do ducks have feathers? To cover up the butt quacks. <laughs> oh my gosh. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, indeed. That's a um, dad joke. <laughs> it's, well, it's actually from that film, Daddy's Home. It's a banging oh. film, but I, think I love yeah. that. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yes, it's been a pleasure having you on. Like, thank you for coming. Thank you so uh, much. And, no, Peter, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. So I thank hope you. it's interesting enough to listen to. Well, I certainly I'll never listen to my voice again. You're not going to listen to the podcast back, no? Oh, no, I don't think I can. It's like listening to your own voice note. Can I put it in times two? <laughs> put it in times two. You can. You can put it in either half up to times two, whatever you want. <clears throat> um, but no, it's really good. Really enjoyed it. So thank you. Um, and to those of you still listening, of which I'm sure there is a few, uh, last week we had Charles Dowding, as I've mentioned. So if you want to go and listen to someone with over a million followers on social media, mm-hmm. over half a million subs on YouTube. Uh, and uh, yeah, he is the father of No Dig. He was a vegetarian when in 1980. He started organic farming in 82. So very much a, a, a trend curber uh, ahead of things in that regard. On Monday, we will have um, the Digital Dairy Chain on the podcast. The Digital Dairy Chain are the guys in charge of, um, I don't want to say this too particularly because I don't know exactly, uh, but in charge of the £20 million investment in the Barney campus where I find myself working uh, in the dairy section. So. Uh, they're going to be quite a super dairy coming on there and uh, they're going to be involved in the data side the social media side the marketing side so i'm very much looking forward to that I haven't filmed it yet um but yeah another interesting sort of group uh, podcast and i'm not sure who's next after that but we'll see you when it comes and we'll see you for our two cast number 85 thank you very much thank you for having me
I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.